You're listening to an Aka podcast. I would like to begin by acknowledging the Boon Wurrung traditional owners and sovereign custodians, the land upon which we meet, along with the Wurundjeri and all Kulin nations, and extend our respects to elders past and present. My name is Adrienne. I'm the curator of public programs here. And today we're just going to be having a nice little informal discussion with our three fabulous speakers. So um, a lot of Tom's work is around a call to action. It's around public protest. It's around participation and things like that. So that's why we've come up with this public meeting. So not only can we have Tom speaking and important members of the arts and cultural communities that he works with a lot, um, but we also have your, um, your ideas coming through as well, which is really important, I think. So um, this work behind us, Gorge Photograph, September 13, 1939, is going to be a bit of a discussion starting point for today. Tom's going to talk us through that work. Um, and then we're also going to talk about the relationship between um, Albert Namajira and Rex Batterby. And you'll hear a lot more about them from all these speakers as well. I'm just going to introduce, obviously you all know Tom and his show. I'm going to introduce um, Hannah and John who have joined us specially today. Um, John Keane was art advisor at Papanyatula from 1977 to 1979. He was the inaugural exhibition coordinator at Tandana from 1989 to 1982 and worked at the Fremantle Arts Centre and Museum Victoria until 2010. John now works as an independent curator and writer and is currently undertaking a PhD um, research into the work of four of Papanya Tula's founding artists. Hannah Presley is the inaugural Yellowinga curator at ACCA. Hannah is an Indigenous curator based here in Melbourne with family connections in Alice Springs and Peppermanyati in the Northern Territory. Hannah was First Nations curatorial assistant for My Horizon, Tracy Moffat, at the Venice Biennale in 2007, and her practice focuses on the development of creative projects with Aboriginal artists, working closely with artists, learning about their techniques, history, and communities that inform their making and help guide her curatorial process. So, I guess, I'm going to pass over to Tom to start off the discussion, maybe to talk about your work. Start that as a starting point. What do you think? Thank you, Adrian, for the introduction, and thanks for coming, everyone, on a day that it feels like it's possible to enjoy the sun for the last time before winter sets in. Um, maybe um, we were conscious when we were meeting earlier this week um, about the, the different um, knowledge that exists or closeness that exists with the story of um, Rex Batterby and Albert Namajira. And I think for some people, um, that's a story that's very, very well known and for others, less so. So maybe that we, we, we double back to talk more about that story, but maybe I can begin just by talking about two of the starting points for this body of work um, behind me, um, which are two starting points about which the two people seated either side of me, I think, know more. Um, and so I'm sure we'll come back to those two things that really triggered this work. Um, but the thing that really began this work and has remained a very structuring um, dimension of it was a very fortunate encounter quite a few years ago at the South Australian Art Museum with a collection of photographs which is called the Rex Batterby Collection. And it's, it's a very um, disorganised photographic collection of photographs mainly from the 30s and 40s um, which were given to the South Australian Museum by Rex Batterby's daughter, Gail. So Rex Batterby, of course, was a, a watercolourist who was born in Victoria and in the 1930s travelled to Central Australia, where he met a very remarkable um, man, Albert Namajira, who was already making art work of different kinds, and through Batterby he started to make watercolours. And that part of the story, I think, is very f familiar to, to most people in Australia. The, the reason that I was in that collection in Adelaide was that I'd, um, I was interested in the role of photography in that relationship, which is a, a part of that relationship that is perhaps less well known. Um, and in that um, photographic archive, there's a whole range of different photographs that were taken during their friendship, during the on air painting trips which they made around central Australia. Um, and part of what I was interested in was the way that photography um, informed the way that they thought about the paintings that they were making. Not that paintings were made directly from, from photographs, but rather that the act of photographing helped to inform the way in which they approached 
painting and the kind of visual dialogue that occurred between them in those years. And there was a very particular ritual that they had during those years when they would go out and paint um, the landscape, mainly the, the West Macdonald Ranges. They would very often paint during the day and take photographs during the day. And at night, they would then develop those um, photographs in dry riverbeds. So there was a very particular kind of routine where painting and photographing were coupled together. But also, there was a nocturnal part of that where the photographs were, were processed. One of the things that I found really fascinating about that collection of photographs was that um, it, although it's called the Rex Batterby Collection, it, um, I think, um, and I think many others do as well, that um, many of those photographs were taken by Albert Namajira, and it's not clear which artist took which photographs. Um, and a, a kind of a part of this project, which we can perhaps return to later on, is that one of the first things that I thought about when I saw the incredible richness of this photographic collection was that it would be imperative that those photographs find their way back to Central Australia, to Ilchanjara, the art centre where artists working um, in the vein of Albert Namajira, um, his, and almost uh, always his descendants in some way, would have access to those photographs and um, allow those photographs to precipitate work for them, which, is, which did occur through uh, uh, another project which was shown in Adelaide um, the year before last. Um, but the, one of the things um, yeah, that's very striking is the way that that, that visual relationship happens through photography in, in that collection. I mentioned at the outset that there were two things that sort of precipitated this, this work. One was the importance of photography in that relationship or the kind of under-acknowledged importance of photography. And the second was that part of that um, routine of painting and taking photographs and then developing the photographs at night was that um, through that remarkable friendship between Albert Namajira and Rex Batterby, um, many of the conversations that were relayed during the night time space when they were sitting around a campfire and eating dinner were recorded by Batterby in his diaries, which are held by Batterby's daughter, Gail, um, uh, in her, where she lives a few hours out of Adelaide. And that seemed to me to be also a very remarkable thing and something which is not overt in those watercolours that we know so well, particularly because many of the stories which Albert was relating to Rex pertained to the country that they had been painting during the day and the narrative or cosmological or historical significance of, those, of that country, um, which Rex, who I think um, must have been a very, very good listener, recorded um, very, very carefully, often transliterated um, into Western Aranda language, um, which he had wrote down in these very small notebooks, which, which as I said, Gail holds in her, in her collection. And those two things, and I'll, in a tick, I'll pass over to these people, so the, the, this first story isn't too long. Um, the interest in the role of photography and the interest in the diaries started to kind of coagulate around one particular moment, which is described in the diaries, and that is 1939, which is the last time that Albert and Rex um, photographed together. And it's also the very first time that they went to one of the most remarkable sites in that country, Quatatuma or Almiston Gorge, um, and which precipitates some of the most remarkable paintings by both of those artists. And both for both of them, I think that moment was very, very important. And this period is also the period of most extensive um, diary um, entries from Batterby. So where there's the most um, recounting of stories about the country by Albert, which are then in turn recorded in those diaries. So I think it's a kind of moment of particular intensity in their relationship and in their picture making and in the very, very particular thing that happens between them in that very remarkable landscape. And there's one moment in the diaries which I think is very, very deeply affecting and that's the moment when belatedly um, Batterby and Namajira learn of the outbreak of World War II in Europe. And Batterby makes particular note of this because he himself was served in World War I and was left on the battlefield for dead there for two days. And so it's a very, very traumatic thing to learn of this news in that remarkable landscape about events which are far, far away. And it momentarily disables his picture making. He can't, he can't make pictures. And so this work really began with, out of those two sources, the photographs and the diaries, but particularly thinking about that moment and trying to imagine the photograph that Batterby might have taken in that moment. And the drawings behind me uh, really begin with trying to think or imagine the negative of the photograph which might have been taken um, at that moment of particular significance in, in their story. Um, but 
so that was a very long garbled introduction to how I came to this, but um, Hannah, when we first started talking, I was very conscious of your very long-standing relationship to that place and those two artists yeah. um, and their importance in that context and also for us today. Yeah. yeah. No, it was really exciting. I um, got to research um, the show and work with Tom and get an understanding about um, all of the works in the show. Um, but for me, it was really exciting to see this work um, come about. This is the, the new commission for the show. Um, so, so it was exciting to see and to talk about that process with, with Tom, but also my own knowledge of knowing um, about the project that Tom was talking about, that working with the Uchinjara artists, the Hermansburg watercolour artists that continue um, to, to paint. Um, I guess I, I wouldn't mind starting a little bit um, talking about Albert himself. Um, a lot of you would know Albert Namajira, of course. He's one of our most famous um, indigenous or, yeah, well, indigenous artists, but one of our country's most important artists, I think. Um, Albert was a Western Aranda man. He, um, as Tom mentioned, was painting and making artifacts before he met Rex, but it wasn't until he was, I think, 32 when he met um, Rex Batterby that he started to learn about the watercolours and started um, painting the beautiful landscapes that we were aware of today. Um, so the idea of landscapes, I think that's interesting too. John mentioned the other day, he wasn't painting landscapes, he was painting country. Um, and I think that's one of the most important things about Albert. Um, he has been an interesting figure in Indigenous art because he was painting in a, a Western way, um, a Western style, but he was bringing to it knowledge that um, had been with him and his family for since the beginning of time, an intimate connection with that country. Um, and I think that's what made um, and still makes his work so important. Every time you see an Albert Namajira watercolour, you know that you're seeing it through Albert's eyes. You're seeing more information about that country um, than, than what anybody else could have actually shared. Um, my, my history is um, that my father was actually born in Alice Springs. My grandfather was taken to the bungalows in 1920-something um, when he was about eight years old. Um, and so my family's always grown up and lived around the Alice Springs area. Um, and we grew up knowing about Albert and we grew up with lots of family and friends having the odd Albert Namajira painting, if they were lucky enough, um, that may have been exchanged for a taxi ride or some food. Or um, so, we, so we always grew up knowing that there was this interesting time when Albert was <clears throat> an Aboriginal person at a time when uh, my family didn't have citizenship rights. No Aboriginal person had um, any kind of rights, really. We were still seen as part of the landscape in a lot of ways. And then there was this artist from um, from Hermansburg, Indari, as it's called, who had risen above that, who had met the Queen, who had travelled um, the world, travelled Australia, um, and was really well known for, for that work. Um, so it's a, he's a he's a really important artist to talk about those those things, and I think um, this work is important because it talks about the relationship with Rex and Albert, and I think that's something as well that um, the complexities of that relationship are so important to understand. Um, there was a, a really serious uh, power imbalance between those two. You know, Albert was um, had no rights. Rex was was travelling and you know was a was a citizen of Australia and had all the rights that came with that. Um, but they developed a, a really interesting friendship or relationship um, that was very rare in those times. Um, and I think the diaries that. Uh, Tom refers to really speak to that relationship that it, it was something beyond what um, what seemed possible at that time um, yeah John you've probably got something to add to that as well um, I'm on mic yeah yep yeah. well Namajira means something to um, all of us I think um, everybody who's involved uh, interested in art in Australia um, has had an opinion at some time or another about 
Namajira. And the um, expanding um, sort of understanding of what he, he represents and what he painted um, has come about in my, my life. Um, a big moment, well, I should say that Namajira was a really big person in Papania uh, where I worked in the 1970s. Uh, you know, he was a, a towering figure. He was the big professional artist um, at a time when the Papania artists were uh, just gaining recognition. They didn't have individual recognition like him. And some of those artists were very closely related to Namajira. Um, and the practice of watercolour was still strong at Papanya. Uh, now, I, one, one time I was sitting at home and these uh, fellows a little bit younger than um, me came in uh, to paint. Uh, and one of them was called Albert Namajira and um, signed <laughs> Albert Namajira right there. And yeah, so, so he's, he's, he established the, um, the notion of what it is like to be an artist for a whole lot of people who uh, went on to produce different kinds of work. And another big moment in uh, Namajira, this is a little bit off the track, but that's all right. <laughs> um, it's bound to happen. <laughs> was in uh, 1983 when uh, the new Aralun um, Art Gallery uh, opened in Alice Springs and its first exhibition um, was called Albert Namajira and it uh, brought together his work. Um, it was curated by a local... Uh, Alice Springs artist Mona Burns um, and the symposium that occurred along with that exhibition was the, really the first time where uh, Albert's work was uh, reviewed again after the kind of mid-century um, critiques uh, of him as a, somebody who painted as like a white fella. Um, at that symposium, it started to become obvious that he was painting in um, a style that came, as Wenton Rabunja said, um, that the, it came out of Whitefellow's hands, but it was totally transformed. And the, um, the diaries that we keep referring back to, um, uh, one of the key components are these stories of country. So in, in a way, that aspect of what uh, Namajira was doing and seeing in the landscape has been left out of the discussion because um, people haven't gone back to these um, these diaries because uh, the freehand's not very easy to read. <laughs> Simple archival re reason, really. Um, so there's a lot of perpetuated myths about Batterby's relationship to Namajira. Um, and I think we're living in a time uh, where all of that's being... Uh, re-looked re at in much more complex ways and the truth of their collaboration, the subtleties um, of their collaboration are as important um, as some of the other more celebrated things like uh, Namajira learned uh, very quickly and soon superseded his mentor or that, um, you know, he wasn't quite as good as Hans Heysen. Um, he painted a bit like him, but not, not quite the same. Um, and we've got the, a moment to go and look at Hans Heysen, and um, I was there on straight after our discussion, I went there. And the, Hans Heysen is a very competent landscape painter, but Namajira paints country. There's, there's a, a, a soul there, um, and a, a sort of singing colour that I think... Um, is in Namajira's work. But this isn't supposed to be just about a rave about how good <laughs> that old man was. <laughs> but I think it's interesting in reflecting on both your, what you just, both of you have just said is the sense that there's an importance in Namajira's paintings that is not ostensible, that we don't immediately see, mm -hmm. that, that in the first instance, the way it, it seems to echo dimensions of a European tradition is, is the dominant response to it. But the way in which encoded within that are all very, very intricate narrative information, that's part of why the diaries are so exciting, because they give a glimpse that that was very, very self-conscious, and something of which Batterby himself must have been aware 
that those landscapes were encoded or encrypted even with um, very, very dense and important narrative information. And I, I think that that's, for me, partly interesting as a question about pictures in general, like what pictures do, that picture-making very often um, doesn't disclose narratives very readily. I mean, even things that we think of as very overtly narrative pictures in the European tradition, we only understand them because we know the stories. And so the sense in which pictures are always fragments of much wider stories that we have to somehow conjure around them, I think is a kind of general conditional question about pictures, which in the case of Namajira is incredibly fascinating because of the way he's synthesising a range of different traditions and processes, including photography and painting, which I think is part of what's interesting about the, the photographs. And to me it's also interesting because I feel like that a bit anticipates some of the questions and problems that then arose in Papanya, like about how much the, the act of painting was one of disclosure and how much it's one of encryption. Mm -hmm. I think um, that complexity is what is so amazing, is that we were, we, you know, like you're saying, we're looking at this Western landscape painting, um, but the way that we understand um, what then happened with, in Papania in the early 70s and the way that we interpret and understand Aboriginal art and culture now, um, it, it has changed our ability to, or has influenced our ability to now look back at that work. Um, of course, the diaries are this amazing insight but also just knowing that he was a, a solidly cultural man so he had all this information um, that that wasn't really acknowledged at that time how important that was and I think it's really lovely now to see the, the that shift in our understanding of who that man was and that that insight that he had is in that work and, and it shouldn't be taken away because it's not immediately apparent in ways that we later find in um, you know western desert styles um, maybe it's a good time to talk about the journey that um, Tom yes. and I um, <laughs> took that's uh, led to to the production of these works because it uh, Tom was uh, interested in Mubatabi uh, and Namajira's collaboration and uh, a, a mutual friend Jonathan Jones introduced Tom and I and after you know lots of conversations in a couple of years we got around to a trip to Central Australia and the route that we took um, was very much the, the uh, Albert Namajira travelling route of Central Australia. Um, we um, and that was part intentional uh, because of Tom's interest, but it's also part art historical because that, that route is very important to the conjunction of Namajira's work with uh, Papanya um, and his deeper associations with the Papanya area. Um, one of the, the things that's lost a lot in, in um, general literature on Namajira, that everybody says, everybody writes that he's Western Islander, you know, from the area just straight west of Hermansburg. But actually he's uh, properly Kukaja too, which is the area around Papanya. Um, and his um, um, father was conceived at a place just south of Papanya, and Namajira died at Papanya, or, or was um, taken from Papanya when he was very mortally sick and died in Alice Springs. Uh, he has these strong family connections. So Tom and I um, did a travelling trip with uh, this Alison's French's revision of revisions of Namajira, uh, the face, or seeing the centre, and we tried to find the locations, um, not that he was looking at, but where he was sitting to do that painting. Um, and that involved uh, lots, of, lots of places, uh, famous um, sites, Glen Helen, Ormiston Gorge, Gosses Bluff, um, but also out west from Papania, uh, Winbarkul, uh, Mount Liebig, uh, looking north to um, Karanyara, Mount Wedge, all those sorts of places. Uh, and it was fantastic because the, um, uh, we enjoyed each other's company on the, on the trip and camped at a lot of good places. It was springtime 
Uh, no, winter wasn't it, really cold winter, but with a few signs of the vegetation that um, appeared in, in uh, Namajira's paintings. So I had a lot of really deep discussions about uh, <laughs> what lies behind these paintings and uh, um, some of the, the how, how you might walk in, to find a spot to paint, uh, you know, leaving your camels behind in a creek bed and walk up a mountain, for instance. Um, so we, we did some good walking. <laughs> and, a, and this is recounted in the little artist book, which you're, you're more invited to take at the end of this talk, but there was one particular case where, just outside uh, Daria Hermansburg, where we were trying to find a painting which is published in this book. And we seemed to have the spot where it would have been painted almost exactly down near the, the, um, the banks of the Fink River. But we started to climb up the hill just before Mount Hermansburg, trying to find the exact alignment of hills. And to our surprise, we sort of kept on having to go higher and higher to make all of those hills align. Um, and at a certain point, we found the point, we thought, where those hills seemed to make the right alignment. And at that point, we turned around and we realised that we'd come so high that we had an incredible panorama back to a whole other landscape. And it was made us very aware that while these are, of course, re rectangles, um, they're always painted immersed in country and the significance of any one place is not simply the view in one direction but a range of different forms which are visible at that point. And of course we're very conscious of the, the way in which the duration of traversing, you know, as a kind of counterpart to the duration of storytelling is part of what was involved in this on plein air practice. And so in a funny way that what is, you know, at first glance an old tradition of like on plein air watercolour actually becomes a way to paint country, immersed in country, traverse country. Um, and so as that experience of just trying to follow these pictures and allow the pictures to elicit walking in us was really, was very, very beautiful. Mm -hmm. And the, probably the, 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 the luckiest thing of all was the day that we went to Kotatuma, almost in Gorge. Um, and again, we were trying to follow uh, the framing of certain very remarkable pictures. And there you're very, very aware of what photography might have given those two great artists because the rock face there is so enormous and so enveloping that it feels like your, your regarding of the landscape is constantly cropping in the way that mm -hmm. a camera does, which is of course very true in a lot of those watercolours of those rock faces that they... Yeah, it's bigger than... Uh, you, the, I don't know, who's, who's been to Ormiston Gorge? Anyone been there? Yeah. It's uh, bigger than you, you can imagine. You can't uh, take it in when you're in the, the gorge. You can only see a tiny section of the, the wall. The wall sort of extends. If you're looking at it halfway from the back to the other side, you're only seeing a little bit. You've got to look up to see the top and look down. It's, mm. it's massive. Um, but it's like a negative Uluru sort of scale. <laughs> it's, it's really big, only a bit skinnier. And you're also quite aware of the landscape being flipped at right angles to itself in that mm. it's, this, it's more or less a vertical face which is exposed, exposes the, the stratigraphy of, of that country. Um, but also it made me think about the kind of photographic apparatus that they were both using, which of course had a viewfinder which involved looking down and which then yielded a view looking out so that the actual photographic apparatus mirrors something in the landscape itself in that it's sort of at right angles to itself. But the most striking thing in which yielded the sort of the principal idea for this was that when I started taking photographs in that landscape, I became aware that almost every time I sort of pointed the lens up to the top of this rock face, there was lens flare because it's such a, a narrow, precipitous space that the sun was constantly embroiling itself in the photographic image. And the idea of what that sun was doing and the way it floods um, the light of the photograph, but also kind of floods the stratigraphy of the rock face itself, became a way to think about that moment that I mentioned before, imagining the photograph that Rex might have taken upon hearing that news from far away. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. And I think that's, that's also um, important. I think I've heard you speak about working with the Ujja and Jara artists and how relevant that understanding of, of 
the viewfinder and photography still is to their practice today, that that still in, uh, inspires how they understand selecting their view because it is so expansive. It is, um, you know, a spiritual relationship with country more than just what you're looking at. So that, I think, that whole process of using that viewfinder, that old style camera, all of that um, changed the thinking. And, and I think it plays a major role in allowing those artists to decide what they're putting in, in each work, where the boundaries are. Um, and of course, the light is the most important thing in that country. <laughs> and Elvitz just captured it so beautifully. Mm. When I spoke to um, Kumanjai um, Namajira, uh, a couple of years ago, she told me that uh, it's her uh, Namajira's granddaughter that he taught them to look like this um, through the landscape to 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 frame the picture. So it's it, it transformed um, intergenerationally from the uh, 1950s viewfinder into a much more practical. Uh, kind of thing, uh, whereas I believe that Rex also did the um, you know, squaring off um, method. So there, there is this sort of notion of the viewfinder is really interesting. Um, could I just say what we, we, um, if we track back to going up Mount Hermansburg and looking, uh, looking back uh, the other way, there was this obvious place to paint up on the hill with a, a large rock with an overhang where you could sit on a, on a sheltered day and get out of the sun up there. But the other way, we'd been looking for um, um, this place, Mount Giles, which is on the, the northern side of Ormiston Gorge, uh, Ormiston Pound. And we'd been this way, that way, you know, trying to get up on top of the hill, down the creek a little bit, couldn't find it, couldn't find it. And um, eventually, we, we looked around and um, it's marked somewhere here. Yep. Yeah, this is what we found, exactly what we were looking for in the gorge, but uh, about 70 kilometres away or 80 kilometres away. We hadn't accounted for the atmospheric perspective that um, Namajira, of course, painted with. That was part of what he, he was um, taking in and what he mastered at that time. Can I just um, talk, the other thing uh, about Tom's paintings, um, where, or Tom's drawings, where they came from, uh, we're walking through the gorge um, and it's, it's, a, and it's an adventure on, in a massive scale because you're clambering over rocks and going through really icy water in winter. And we're sort of, you, and you enter deeper and deeper and deeper and you get the sense of scale getting bigger and bigger than you and you're sort of physically uh, shrinking in the landscape. Um, we're walking together and talking and stuff. And then I, I was continuing on and uh, talking to myself or something. I looked back and Tom was right against the wall um, looking up, just going <laughs> for about um, 10 minutes. I think you took, I don't know, how many hundred um, exposures in that, in that time and I thought, oh, something's going on. <laughs> and there we go. This is what, what came out of that experience. Then the next morning, I think um, you took off by yourself to, um, to have another encounter with the same place at, at dawn. So how much um, of this work is... I, I guess it's important to say with Gorge Photograph, the booklet, that's um, imagined correspondence. There's, you've, you've done all of this research and you've pulled all these characters together um, and then created a narrative in this book. With um, the drawings, how much of it was reliant on um, the photographs that you were taking? How much was about your, just being there in the presence and the story? Like, could you tell us a little bit more? I mean, I, um, it's a good question anyway. That question is sort of the structuring um, question of the work, that on the one hand there's a very labyrinthine narrative which is slowly paced out in these books through an imagined or imaginary correspondence and which deal with some of these questions that we're all talking about and this very remarkable friendship and this history of picture-making. But the drawings are actually a very um, 
don't yield that, that narrative. I mean, in, in the sense that they're, they're, they are also very encrypted. And in a way, they try to play with three... There's a kind of interplay, I think, going on between, on the one hand, the speed of photography in that sense that a, the a photograph is just taken and it, it registers a moment of light, which in this case is this flooding light created by lens flare by pointing the lens more or less directly at the sun. And then this other register of time, which is this incredibly long register of time, which creates that, those very intricate stratigraphic forms on the rock face, which is almost seems like the polar opposite of this, the instantaneity of a photograph. And the third, of course, being the time of drawing itself, which is, um, in this case, is a very, very slow, laborious process of trying to describe that rock face or the intermingling of that rock face and the flooding light um, of the lens flare, which, because of its imagining a negative is, of course, inverted, so that what becomes what is in the, the, the imagined photograph of flooding light becomes instead this very, very black surfaces of these black particles of, of charcoal. And in some ways, the, that, that visual, um, first visual response to that place is then, I suppose, it, I tried to think it in, also in terms of a very material response, response of how charcoal is, which in some ways is the opposite of what watercolour does, in the sense that part of what's remarkable about watercolour as a medium, and why Albert is such a great artist, is that he's using the way that light bounces back off the paper and creates that incredible sense of luminosity um, and all those amazing colours. Whereas, of course, the, the kind of defining feature of this really, really thick layers of charcoal is that they suck up light and they're, they're black and white things, so they return um, much more to the space of the, the photographic work that they, they both made. So, yeah, um, and this is a, a, a watercolour that we looked at quite a bit because of the way he uses the paper so beautifully to create um, this luminous moment in that, in that watercolour. Um, this to, paper, this is yeah. the paper itself has been worked around um, and not touched. So it, it's the shiniest uh, spot, the, the bit that he didn't touch. And it's, uh, these are Maluka blossoms in the um, uh, Quaternuma um, uh, creek bed, mm. we think. Yeah. But maybe just to pick up something that you asked about, Hannah, you, you um, brought us back to the project that kind of um, ran in parallel with this one, which really began with just trying to take those photographs from Adelaide to Ilchanjara and then to facilitate the remarkable group of artists who work at Ilchanjara responding to those photographs. And that was very, very deeply informative because the chance to simply sit alongside those artists and watch them work and talk with them, um, along with travelling with, with John um, in that first trip, those things were just so incredibly... Um, they were very, very generous and generative sources for thinking. And I felt very, very lucky as an artist because, of course, this, the, the, the classical myth of the artist as someone who works individually is, is a myth, of course. And I've never been more aware of that in this project where um, I was so lucky to be in conversation with many other artists and thinkers around these histories and around the importance of that country. And one of the things that was really striking about the way that um, those Western Aranda artists at Ilchanjara responded to the photographs is the way that they synthesised photographs. So that, in a way, this question that we're talking about about how pictures yield narratives was solved by them by often crunching two or three photographs together. In other words, it wasn't about a single moment captured by the, the shutter. It was actually about um, a, a kind of a duration of time and picking one thing from one photograph and inserting it um, into a scene that was established by another photograph. And seeing that process of how you narrate through pictures mm -hmm. and how to narrate that particular history in that country was often in very idiosyncratic ways because you also get Christian iconography appearing in there alongside um, Western Aranda narratives. And it, that was really extraordinary to see. I think that also speaks to the idea that these are artists that are working with this medium and on, you know, depicting this country. I can remember working um, briefly at Ilcha Njara with the artist there and a current artist, Elton Weary, his father, um, had grown up with, who's sadly passed away now, but he grew up with my dad and he used to tease me a lot, which was a good sign, I thought, that I was getting things done. Um, but I can remember saying to him, come back to Victoria 
and you can paint some country around here for me, you know. My mum lives, you know, out of town, it'll be beautiful. And I can remember him just laughing at me and just saying, oh, Hannah, you don't get it. He's like, I'm not just sitting there looking at, the, at that mountain and painting it, I'm painting my country. I'm painting more than that, you know. And he, the whole time he was just pretty much paying me out for not understanding the intricacies of what he was actually doing. Um, but I think all of that comes back to these guys uh, sharing so much. They're, they're artistically pushing themselves. Um, and that was another reason why it was so important for the show that I did. Um, when was that? Last year. A lightness of spirit is the measure of happiness here um, at Acker. Um, that I included a watercolour artist, um, Benita Clements, who Tom was lucky enough to work with as well. And, yeah, we talked about the fact that it was actually this wall that Benita's work was displayed on um, as well, which is, has a really lovely symmetry. Um, Benita, again, is, is a younger artist um, who comes from that family line and is continuing the watercolour work, but is making it her own as an artist. She's depicting family members and things that are happening in her life, in her work. It, it continues to, yeah, to grow and adapt. You're talking about um, Elton, Elton, where Elton, before? Elton's dad. His yeah. dad was Kevin? Yeah. Kevin was one of the guys uh, sitting at the table I mentioned before in 1978 oh, wow. or whatever in Papunya. Amazing. Albert Namajira doing watercolour paintings. He had a bit of um, bit of style about him. He was a bit yeah, always had slick hair like Elvis. Yeah. Kevin, yeah, very cool guy. And a good musician too. Yeah, right. Wasn't he in Warrenby Band? Uh, at some stage. I'm not sure. I think he did travel with him a bit. It's, right. <laughs> it's totally possible though. Mm. Very clever family. <laughs> One of the other things that um, is present in those diaries that we've talked about quite a lot, and that is very present for me on this day, is that um, in those days in uh, Kwatatuma, almost in Gorge in 1939, apart from hearing news about the outbreak of World War II, the other thing that is noted is that the census form arrives. Mm -hmm. And of course the census form was only for one of those two men. Um, and when, when we were talking earlier in preparation for today, I think that the sense in which Namajira is a really profoundly political man and artist, and the way that his art, both before and after meeting Batterby, is constantly grappling with an effort to find within the constraints of invasion and colonisation forms of autonomy for him and economic means within also the stricture of the mission where he, he was largely living, I think is a really fascinating and important part of his, of his life as an artist, that he, that he was also involved, the paintings were a way to support his family. Mm. And, an extended yeah. family hundreds of people, um, you know, culturally um, with Aranda people even now, it's um, everything is shared. You, you don't always own something yourself. Um, it's, it's there for everyone. You're always looking out for your family and extended family. And I think that um, the, those two worlds that Albert grappled, you know, it, it really led to, you know, unfortunately tragedy for, for Albert. Um, you know, because of those relationships and, and trying to work in those, those two worlds. But, um, yeah, I, I often think about that today, you know, as we know, it's, it's election day. Everyone's out there voting. I hope you all have. Um, yeah, but the idea that, that Albert didn't have that, um, the ability to do that, he wasn't, um, you know, that's not lost on, you know, that's an important element um, in who he was. Um, yeah, and who, and who we are now, you know, when we look at um, back on, on these histories, um, you know, I think that's an important thing about Tom's work that I've found myself is there's so many um, other people's histories that you bring into your work. You're, you're always acknowledging your own inherited histories and, and challenging that. Um, and I think this is, this is just such a beautiful way to do it with two really important, important people. Do we have any... Anyone in the audience that would like to contribute anything or um, a few little questions? Any or questions or anybody who's even travelled to these areas and yeah. your experiences of being in these places? Yeah, yeah, lovely. Um, I was just curious how you were talking about how you mapped the um, desert landscape and the western McDonald ranges with the paintings. 
Did you have a specific process of how you located those places? Like, was it from research or was it from song lines or do you know much about how Albert Namajira mapped the landscape when he did the paintings with Rex Batterby? Like, uh, or was it more an intuitive process that led you, you know, on a journey to find the exact right location, you know? Uh, should I answer that? Yep. Um, well, it, it, I've been going to the, that area for 40 years or so, um, and it happened that when I was uh, in Papania, part of the route, a lot of the artists I was working with there were working on outstations, and the outstations were kind of dotted around the uh, westernmost McDonald Ranges, the Belt Range, and um, Yamantorangal, Mount Liebig. Uh, and the route to um, service those outstations, take materials to the artists there and buy their paintings, was uh, pretty much a, a route that Namajira took with Batterby, um, not, not the exact roads because camels travel on different, they make their way best on different roads to motor cars. But basically it's the same outline where, you know, you, you go on the northern side or the southern side of this mountain range. So I knew a lot of the, um, the places um, where they were and I'd noted, I'd noted a lot of the locations approximately, um, you know, in my mind before I got there. And they're very, um, you know, they, there's a, a point of convergence where uh, the kind of Western interest in landscape and uh, the totemic landscape, if you like, converge on interesting landforms, dominant landforms, striking, um, you know, anthropomorphic or uh, all of that kind of stuff. So, you know, rocks like that, um, you notice, but they're also really big stories. Um, Glen Helen Gorge. Uh, so, so um, you know, a lot of the places that Namajira painted, like um, Ormiston Gorge, are also major sites that um, tourists go to. But it's, it's really at the, the finer grain uh, that it gets much more interesting, say, when we were looking... Um, do you know where the Gosses Bluff picture is in there? Be with the trees. Anyway, um, we'll... The one with the trees? Is that what yeah, you just said, John? That's got sort of <laughs> landscape. Yeah, the one with the trees. <laughs> you know, the grass trees. <laughs> anyway, the, we're, 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 you can find the area, but there's this time thing that a lot of the trees um, maybe aren't there anymore or grass trees have got bigger. So finding the ex exact spot is, uh, yeah, we, this is the one we're trying to find. Now, uh, we didn't walk that far as off the road because we were travelling with a car, uh, but travelling with camels, maybe that was over a couple of rises. I think we walked a kilometre or so in search of this site. Um, and maybe we got pretty close. Um, but uh, the, the, the site of where he painted that very radiant image, where Namajira painted that radiant image within um, Ormiston Gorge, uh, I think I know the stone on the, that he sat on. So in a way, it it's, gets really good when you can sort of place yourself really, really there. A lot of these painting places are around seasonality um, and practicality. You know, in really hot days, um, it's very likely that he was sitting down near a waterhole uh, in the shade of a beautiful big um, uh, river red gum. You know, so there's, there's a sort of the play of, of experience and um, human necessity and story all come together uh, in, in a lovely way when you you're doing it, you know, talking about it as, as the process goes. Do we have any more questions, comments? Um, so when you showed your work to the artists, how did they, what did they say 
um, given how Albert is just so important, um, how did they, what sort of, res what did they say? What was their response? I think both Hannah and John would have interesting responses to that question too. I was very lucky principally in a period of sort of two or three weeks of being, of working with um, the artists who work at Ilchanjara, looking at those historical photographs. And one of the things that's very striking in the range of responses was the generational differences, because some of those, um, the artists who work at Ilchanjara are really, I suppose, third generation. In the, they're, the, they're the children of Perulcha brothers who were directly taught by Albert himself. And they both have a different relationship to the act of painting. They were taught by Perulcha brothers, in the case of, say, Ivy Perulcha, who's one of the great senior artists working in Ilchanjara. But also their memory of living at Hermansburg and Daria itself is very different. So when you go there to the, the what's um, left of the mission there, they'll tell you, oh, you know, that's where the Perulcha brothers used to live down there, and they, they, they have... Um, childhood memories of growing up there and so the way that they then relate to those photographs and also to the stories that are contained in the diaries is very informed by that experience. Um, the youngest artist who was working on that project was, is, I think she was 15, and she made the most beautiful watercolour which is based on a portrait of Albert taken by Rex and she's, you know, four generations younger and her relationship to Albert is no less intense in a way, but it's not from the experience of knowing where... She, she's never lived um, at Hermansburg and Daria. She lives at you know, Alice Springs. So I think that the, the, the responses to that heritage and to those pictures and to, and to my work as well was, was varied a lot according to the different generational experiences in a really, in a really, really interesting way. And I mean, what John recounted before about Kumanjai Namajira doing this, to say what the most important thing she learned from Namajira was this process of looking through your fist to frame the landscape is an example of that, of a very direct connection to a way of thinking about pictures. Um, whereas for younger artists, it's actually the, the process of looking at um, paintings themselves is, becomes quite an important thing. And that was one of the things which I loved about the watercolours, which were along this wall last year, those Benita Clements works, is that they synthesise country but also other pictures in a really interesting way. Like, they're quite, they're, there's, it's a very... I think that at Ilchanjara there's a, a self-consciousness that artists, I think, almost always have about other people's pictures as well as about experience itself. And there's something about that which is really, really fascinating at Ilchanjara because there's this, these layers of different generations of Hermansburg school artists. And I can, I can remember being there and the reference point could be an Albert work. There's always books, open pages, images everywhere. Um, it could be with, with uh, Benita. Um, there was one work in the series she did for Lightness um, where she um, had fireworks from the Alice Springs show uh, with the beautiful Western Max behind. Um, so it is that mix of, of everyday life now and all of those artists past and, and they all work together in the same studio. So um, there's a lot of sharing and a lot of discussion and mixing colours and um, it's, yeah, it's reciprocal. There's, yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm sort of reminded also of the life of pictures when I'm at Ilchanjara, like the way that a painting that's made 80 years ago persists in an, I mean it persists for us that's why we're talking about it um, they're fascinating things to look at and they register all kinds of things for us but particularly in that place where the knowledge of country is so intimate those pictures persist in the most remarkable way and it also reminds me of something which I think is important about Batterby himself you know this way that objects and pictures are carried out of context and persist and give us meaning in an ongoing way one of the things which um, Rex carried with him every time he went to Central Australia is photographed actually in that book and it's held at Gail's house, his daughter. It's the sling which was applied to his arm when he was carried off the battlefield in France. And he carried that into Central Australia every time he went, which I think speaks to the way that objects, including pictures, persist in their significance, often in totally different contexts. I mean, Namajira's work is immensely important for us 
80 years later here in Melbourne. And there's something that's actually embedded with, um, within Rex's life which also bears that principle that these objects that were from an experience on the other side of the world that was profoundly traumatic for him, he carried with him in that landscape, in the Central Australian landscape, and they were with him the whole way that he had that friendship with Albert. And I've often wondered about whether there was something in that, in, the, in an understanding of violence, actually, that Rex had and which he literally carried with him, physically through those objects, but also psychically, which was part of why he was slightly better at listening than and most people And why he was probably time. drawn to Albert as well. Everything we hear about Albert is that he was... Um, quiet, he was considered, he was generous, he was thoughtful, like somebody that's dealing with, you know, such intense traumas <laughs> in their everyday life um, for these two men to come together and have that quiet exchange as well, I think is really um, important to acknowledge. Yeah, because yeah, I think that's, I mean, the, the landscapes, uh, those pictures that Albert made, they're luminously beautiful things, they're extraordinary, but they also bear that like a, of something which is um, very, very complex and which has forms of grief in it. And I think that was in their friendship as well, I, you would have to think, even if it was sublimated into making pictures together. And I think that's part of why it's such an important moment, not just in art history, but in the history of this landmass in a way. Yeah, the um, part, part of the time thing is putting ourselves when we look at these pictures particularly the the works done um, you know in the in the late 30s uh, in that very intensive period uh, it's a, a period of uh, recovery where you know Australia had been put on its knees with the first world war and so many of Rex's generation had um, died or um, come back shell-shocked or you know with um, um, post-traumatic syndrome of one kind or another um, and that was happening in Central Australia obviously at the same time and there was economic depression uh, that Australia was just coming out of and the kind of extraordinary um, scale of art making that we're um, familiar with now, you know, typified by Acker and similar institutions, uh, it was a much more modest activity. Life was much more modest in the shadow of the um, uh, of the depression and those big, uh, you know, the Spanish flu had gone through um, all of Australia, certainly Central Australia, in a really profound way, and uh, you know, a large many people had died. Uh, there was also in that particular area, uh, as Albert was growing up, a huge drought. Um, it went on for uh, most of the decade of the 1920s till it, it uh, broke about 1929, I think. Um, and that had caused extraordinary mortality in uh, uh, Hermansburg Mission or the Fink River Mission as it was called at that time. And that, that mission was absolutely um, on its on its knees, it was also all of these events were happening in the shadow of the um, very specifically the Coniston massacre, um, which had happened in 1928. Uh, maybe about 150 kilometres to the north of Ontario, uh, um, where you know many people. It, it was a, a rolling series of massacres that displaced people. Um, across uh, Amadura and on the edge of Walbury land. So a lot of people were, were moving. Uh, it, was a, it was a very different world um, to the, even the world of the, you know, 1901. Uh, it, was a, it, it was a very disturbed time. Um, so it, it, I think that's part of the poignancy of Tom's work is that uh, he, you know, you, you're uh, attracted to work with those um, contested situations, uh, conflicted situations, and the the um, uh, the aftermath of of conflict. And I think the the there's an aspect of the chroma and the kind of veil-like qualities of these works that speaks directly to that that experience. Yeah, it's, um, thank you for that. Um, one of the things that 
was an accident in a way, but is striking is that there are two works in this show which have dates very overtly in them, and they're both the same year, actually, because in the room behind me is the work which engages the, the enduring importance of the Kamaragunja walk-off, which happened in 1939 as well. And so I think there is actually something about that moment, that year which we associate very strongly with European events, that actually has very particular charge in this context, and that's, in, of course, in relationship to Europe in complex ways, but nonetheless has its own trajectories that are important to acknowledge. Were there any other questions from anybody? No? Any final comments from John, Hannah and Tom? Thank you for being here and listening to us chat. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. And could you just um, join me in welcoming... I'm sorry, not welcoming. Thanking so much um, John, Hannah and Tom for their time today. And thank you so much for coming today as well and listening to them speak. You have been listening to an ACCA podcast recorded by ACCA, the Australian Centre for Contemporary Art in Melbourne. To listen to more from us, subscribe to ACCA on Apple Podcasts or follow ACCA on SoundCloud. To find out more about our exhibitions and programs, visit ACCA.melbourne and sign up to our mailing list.